Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I am your host. What is Must Love Self all about? It's about our bodies, our worth, and our voices. It is a movement, an attitude. It is a decision. It is a project. It is a journey. It is a life choice. Every week I get to interview a brave woman who may not be perfect, but is on the path and is willing to share their ugly and their beautiful. Today I have Samantha Mann, and she comes to this conversation with a plethora of brilliance and expertise and background. So I want her to tell you a little bit about herself. Samantha? Hi guys, so happy to be here today. I'm Samantha. I am a behavior analyst by trade. So I have my master's and pre-master's in psychology. I'm also a freelance writer. I write primarily about feminism, mental health, general womanhood. Um, And yeah, that's me. I have an essay collection out called Putting Out Essays on Otherness. And I'm looking forward to talking with everyone today. I can't wait. And we're gonna talk more about that When I was reading what you had written to me, you said you write extensively about PTSD, trauma, self-harm, alcohol, drug abuse, sexuality, motherhood, all of it. And everyone on here has, they don't have all the same things, but we're all coming to the table with so much shame Mm -hmm. and secrecy. And we're not supposed to talk about those things. But what I'm finding, as I was telling you before we started, is we want to talk about Yes, we're dying to talk about it. And it's the not talking about it, as I'm sure you're finding with a lot of your guests and have probably found personally is really what compacts that shame and what just drives us into being isolated. And that drives the depression and anxiety. It's the talking about it and sharing that really is the healing spot. It is. And I found out found that out because I wrote my memoir, Seconds and Inches, and I had all these women, they were like, Thank you for what you said. And thank you for all the things that you share that nobody wanted to talk about. And that's how Muscle Love Self was born was, I was like, I'm 41. I'm sick of not liking my body. I'm sick of all the people I know that are women that have things that they don't like about themselves, not even just body, their worth and not being able to use their voices. And I want us all to lift each other up. And that's what this is all about. So we're going to begin. I know that this is your world, but why did you actually say yes to this conversation? I said yes to this conversation. I was brought here from a friend, Jennifer Hansen, and I know she knows interesting women. Um, She gave me some information on your memoir and your background and your other podcasts. And I just thought all of it was a great space to be sharing and exploring um, so that's how I found my way here today. It seemed like I, a good community. I told her she's my hero, my shiro. And I was like, when this, not if, when this becomes massive and we're all running around with leggings with muscle of self on our asses. <laughs> and we're like p- pushing each other around to say, you're not allowed to call each other these mean names anymore. I was like, you're going to be my VP. So anyone she brings to me is going to be amazing. So I welcome you. Tell me how old you are. This is one thing I want to break this discussion when women don't want to talk about their age, but I'm noticing younger women are more okay with it. What is your issue with your age? I feel feel great with my age. I'm 32, about to be 33. I'm really looking forward to 33. I feel like it's a magical year for a lot of people. 
Um, late 30s to early, I mean, late 20s to early 30s was a huge turning point. I think for a lot of us, our 20s and even our 30s can be shit. Um, my 20s were just, they were really tough and I was so happy to get to 30. And actually as a little girl, I always had the sense that like 30s and 40s were it. Like that's when you were like your most feminine and womanly and confident. So I always really was looking forward to 30. So I'm 32, thrilled to be here, loving my 30s. And I have been talking to women in their 50s and 60s and they're telling me, wait till you get to your 50s, they're even more magical. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I just did an interview yesterday with my grandmother who's 87. And she admitted that she still has never loved herself. Mm. And that I asked her, you know, obviously she came from a completely different generation and different country, but I asked her why she thought women of her age don't like to say how old they are. Mm -hmm. And she said, it's because we were told that women don't age well. Oh, and yeah. I said, what does that even mean? Is it yeah. because of the, the outer appearance? It's also easier, I think, in my experience for myself and other like queer women in my community, because we don't, we sort of get to tap out of the male gaze. So that makes my life a lot easier. Like I've never, you know, at least in my twenties, I'm not trying to look good for men. And even if that's subconscious, I think that's a huge um, weight that is lifted from me. That's just not how I navigate through the world. So I think, you know, that is helpful. Um, but yeah, I just, I find the women in my life that I know that are older, I feel like everybody's just getting cooler as they age and more confident. Um, I feel like women's political minds actually shift so much the older they get and men actually go the other way. They get a little bit more conservative. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to aging and that's so awesome. And I'm so excited to explore after we get through the beginning questions, what the community that you are in and how that impacts what the pressure you're feeling, because definitely as a straight woman, there's a different pressure. And what I'm realizing is that I really don't need to care at all about another gender and what they think about me. And I also don't even want to care what another woman thinks about me. I want to care what I think about me. Right. And right, the conversations that I keep having with these incredible women like yourself is that we need to stop judging each other mm -hmm. and we need to stop having this pressure upon ourselves. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about that. But before we get there, I want to just get a baseline of where you are today. Okay. And I'm going to ask you to rate yourself one to 10. Okay. One is like, I'm really unkind to myself. 10 is I'm pretty awesome. Okay. I want you to tell me in these three areas, what number you would give yourself today. And then what's the lowest number you've ever been in that area. Okay. So in your image of your own body, what mm -hmm. number would you give yourself? I mean, I'd say I'm a five. I've been at a one, but I think the thing with the body is I've gotten to the point, my goal used to be like, radical self-love of my body and now I've gotten to the point where my relationship with my body is I just try not to be judgmental of it so I'm not obsessed with my body and that feels sometimes a little anti-feminist to me I do think we're getting a little bit too much in a direction of like you need to be obsessed with your body and like love it and whatever that's not true for me but now that doesn't mean that I don't take care of it so that's where the difference is you cannot think that your your body is awesome or gorgeous but you can still take really good care of it so i love that so much because every single woman i've spoken to so far says they still hate their belly yeah like, 
what you're saying is this whole other perspective of, look, I don't need you to love your belly, right? Like you right. might not enjoy the, the way that it yeah. looks. Totally. What if you just didn't put so much concentration on it? Exactly. So that's exactly where I'm with my body. I don't love my belly. I don't love my like parts about my legs, but I don't think I'm like the most disgusting human body that's ever walked the earth anymore. So, you know, it's more, right. You're yes. not having that. And so for me, what I love and what we can share with the audience, because I know that women are still struggling with that inner meanness is okay. So you don't love your belly. You don't love your legs. You don't love a specific part. Mm -hmm. Let's stop focusing on it. Let's talk about the things you do love and not that's just like be so obsessed with our bodies. Right. I do think taking the obsession away from the body is really helpful. And I do think this idea, you know, I think feminism right now is having, is overly marketed. It's a little bit commercialized. I think real feminism isn't about being like, oh, look at my body. My body is awesome. If that's how you feel, obviously that's great. And I'm so happy and we can celebrate that. But if that's not how you feel, that doesn't make you a bad feminist. That doesn't have to be something you're spending your energy working towards. Who cares if you like your body? Like, what are you thinking about? What are you contributing? Who are you talking to? Yes. Do you think it's important that if you don't love your body, which is fine, you don't want to spend all the energy on it, but the meanness is what I'm concerned about. Yes, right. I try I don't to want that energy. Space. Absolutely. Yeah, because that also, though, is energy. So if you're spending lots of time hating your body, you're also wasting your energy. So I think just finding like a neutral space and something that's been helpful for me, which is so obvious and true for everybody, is just recognizing that like the relationships in my life have not changed depending on the scale. Nobody cares as much as I do. Nobody in my life has ever liked me more or less because of what my weight is. That is such a great perspective. Nobody cares. I threw my scale out because my, the person I was working with, she's like, Carly, has there ever been a time where you stepped on the scale and you felt happy? And I said, never. Yeah. There's never been a time where I was like, oh, I feel so much better now. Thank you. Like, I don't want to measure, like you're saying, I love what you're saying. It's not specifically about you need to love your body. It's why do you want to spend so much time talking about your body? And you can still treat it with respect. I think in the past, I've had a lot of like disrespecting my body and hating it, but it's like, you don't also have to love it to take care of it. You can take care of it and feel neutral about it. And that's okay. I love that. Can you give me a little window into what was happening in your life when you were at a one? Oh, a one, I mean, high school was really tough for my body. And I think it is for a lot of women. I also think it is for a lot of queer folks in general, male and female, because what happens is puberty hits or if anybody is gender non-conforming. So you go from, or I personally went from having like a very thin stick body that I was very comfortable in. I was very confident in. I liked how my body moved through the world to having like a soft body, getting breast was very uncomfortable for me, even though I'm comfortable in my gender identity. So I think puberty was really hard for me. And I think that's for a lot of people, your body also becomes a little bit more sexualized than it was when you were in elementary school. So that felt weird. I think as girls, there's a very stark stage from like your body is a vehicle for play. And then it's all of a sudden your body is for showing to boys. Um, And that was very, that's what people at my school were doing. I was participating in that. Um, you were pretending that you wanted boys to like your body. Absolutely. We were like, you know, putting on tons of makeup and part of that is fun. And we were shopping and we were, we were just suddenly there was such a 180 
from playing and climbing and running and jumping to lip gloss and taking slutty pictures of each other. <laughs> and and saying, don't I look horrible? Yes, it just was a hard 180. So I just- Was some of your number it, one score because you knew that you actually didn't even want the attention from the boys or did you not know that? No, I actually always really liked male attention. Um, I was happy with that. It was something that I was good at getting because I didn't care about it. So then I guess that made me like better at it or something. <laughs> I was just uncomfortable in my physical skin. I wanted to have my like old stick body back. I wasn't ready for puberty. Um, I didn't feel comfortable in my skin. It's so interesting that you say that because I was the opposite. So I was like extreme anorexic and I could I had no boobs and mm -hmm. that was a big focus when I was a teenager was boobs. I don't, I'm not really yeah. sure why it was hundred percent from the guys right. and they literally would talk about what size your boobs were and were not in mm -hmm. front of you in front of other guys. And it was such a shame fest. Yes. And I didn't understand that because I was starving myself, I was never going to have this body mm -hmm. I wanted to have yet. I was terrified of having that body. Like you were saying, like I didn't want my body just so much confusion. I want to go, we're going to come back to that place because I want to go to when you're younger, but I want to have rating for your worth, like how you see yourself and what you know you are worth. Um, right now, I feel like I'm at like an eight or a nine. I feel very content with who I am and what I am focused on and how I treat other people. Um, in my personal relationships. Um, and I've certainly been in a one for whatever, all of the answers are going to be a one, I'm sure. <laughs> what do you think your one was in terms of knowing your worth? Knowing my worth, I mean, probably in college, my freshman year, I went through a very dark time where I was drinking too much, really trying to come to terms with the sexual abuse I experienced as a child, having sex I didn't want to be happening self-harm, but I was like, just really in it. I just felt like nobody, I didn't know. I had no idea who I was. I just, I really hated myself. It was just a really hard time. I can totally relate to that. I, you know, what I found, which I didn't know until it already happened. So when I wrote my story, I found out that I thought I was writing like the generational trauma of my family and what happened in our lives, intertwining it with like this cool thing I was doing. And one of my friends said, you know that you wrote a love story. Mm -hmm. And I said, what do you mean? And she's like, you wrote a love story between yourself and yourself that you hated yourself so much for decades. And you found, and I took it very, very far. I, I tried taking my own life. And so getting to a place where I no longer wanted the perfect partner to make me okay because mm -hmm. I realized that I was that person right and what I love about the way you're approaching this is I heard you say the word content because not everyone needs to think they're fabulous mm -hmm. some people just need to feel okay right yeah I think, I think there's that's so important pressure. there's so much pressure pressure culturally especially for women to be happy and thriving and like flirty and flourishing and all this like wild stuff. And I think, you know, it's really important to remember that our feelings are like the weather. They're different every day. And it's a, just because you're having a sad day doesn't mean you're not in a good place in your life. And just because you're having a happy day 
doesn't mean that's your, that's not a mood, that's a feeling. So I just try to be very clear about those because people, you really shouldn't be running after happiness because it's a fleeting thing like all our other feelings. Yeah, I love this because for me, what I don't want people to misunderstand, must love self is about us, our soul, our soul humans, like the, the part of us that is not our bodies and not our worth and none of that, the inner part of us, whatever you believe in or don't believe in, loving who we are on the outside and the thoughts we have and the people mm -hmm. we become and our faults and all of it. But love is so different for every single person. Yeah. And what you need in terms of love and what I need in terms of love are very different. And mm -hmm. that is really important to talk about because when I hear people talking about you know, loving themselves, it is different for each person. But what I think you offer is what if I was just okay? Mm -hmm. And what if that actually is perfect? Like what if I didn't spend all of my energy like I used to constantly thinking about how I wasn't enough? Right, right. And yes. the things I could do with my life if I had right. that time, right? So this is different from your ability to use your voice on behalf of other people. Okay. I want to know, how are you able to use your voice on behalf of yourself? That now I'd say is a full-blown 10, which yes. used to be a zero. Me too. <laughs> that used to be a hard zero. So I think I'm at a 10. I've really, it's taken a long time, but I've really gotten much more comfortable telling people, especially my wife and my family, the people in my life, like how I'm feeling and what I need. And that's so simple. But yet, if you don't have that toolbox, it feels impossible. So yeah, and I've also done that more in a workspace. Like if I realize that I'm working too much, I'm learning to say no. And if somebody's upset by that, those feelings are not mine and that's okay. Um, so I think that's something and probably the thing I'm most proud of is being able to use my voice to advocate for myself and being okay with other people, maybe not always being thrilled with how I'm advocating or what my boundaries are, or what I need. Yes. I love that so much. So one of my besties who you remind me so much of her name is Sarah. She taught me this, this belief that I have a sign in my house and my, I taught my children and there's two kinds of business, my business and none of my business. Mm. And if I know my worth and I use my voice on behalf of what I need, what you think about what I'm saying is not my business. What I am supposed to do is behave. So I'm supposed to do it in a way that is kind and respectful, right. yes. but still honor what I need. And what's so interesting, going back to the interview I just had with my grandmother, her belief as a woman, because her ability to use her voice, she voted as a zero at oh. 87. Oh. Okay. So 87 years, she has okay. not used her voice one time yeah. on behalf of herself, unless she'll have like a massive tantrum at some point because it just kind of explodes and then she apologizes and it's nothing. She thinks that women, what she was told, who use their voice are pushy, loud, mm -hmm. obnoxious, bitchy. Mm -hmm. And I said, what if we did, what if I gave you a middle option and it's a woman that's just being respectful and kind and using her voice to take care of herself, would you still think that? And she's like, no. And I'm like, how come you only think it's this? Right. And I do think that there's a gender expectation and stereotype that when a woman uses her voice, she's a bitch. Yeah. I mean, and it sounds like, unfortunately, your grandmother has still what so many of us still have, which is just internalized misogyny, which is just, you know, we're taught to believe everything your grandma just said. That's unfortunately not new. A lot of women and a lot of men still think those things. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've 
you know, I've always been a woman that has outwardly used my voice. I did not use it about myself in my first marriage. At the end, I became someone who stopped using it. But today, I 100% feel the judgment whenever I've written about divorce stuff or any of my things that are upsetting to some people. You can just feel it. Like, it is like, I'm yeah. sure you experience that in your writing. Sometimes. And it, I mean, I think, and I don't care about, luckily, and I know that's, lucky for me. I really don't care about what the internet thinks and that has made my life much easier, but it is hard and it's still an ongoing thing to not care when you set a boundary and somebody that you love maybe is upset or you can tell you didn't give somebody the answer they wanted. So that is, that does still feel tough, um, but something that gets easier the more that you practice. I mean, we're human. Yeah. I want to know childhood. So going back to when you were a little girl, mm -hmm. can you tell me what you learned positive, negative, or both of what women were supposed to be like, or what you saw maybe from the women in your life in terms of body image, how to behave, how not to behave, what were you seeing around you? Yeah, I actually, I love this question so much. So I always think about ourself, how we convey ourselves is because of our family, our culture, pop culture, media, and your individual experiences. So any traumas, any medical stuff, any of that individual stuff. So I had awesome women in my life. My mom is a real feminist. I was born in 88. So it was right after like some ERA thing happened. She named me Samantha so that I could also go by Sam on my resumes. So Wait, um, did she do that because she knew you would be judged as a female on your resume? Yeah, I think she was just trying to give me some flexibility there to like, if I wanted to put Sam on a resume, that might make my life easier. Wow. Um, so she worked, both my parents worked, but she also, you know, would have conversations with me very young about like, you should always have your own money. You should always have enough of your money that if you need to go, you can go. You're allowed to make more money than your husband. You know, we went to yoga retreats together. She just was such a cheerleader. She was my Girl Scout troop leader. We went camping. It was just a lot of like, if I ever had an idea, like something I wanted to do, she would like figure out how to sign me up, get me all the shit I needed for it and be like, you're off. Like there was, I never said like something, anytime I had an idea, she was like, that's a great idea. You can do that. Or like, you can do more than that. So she always really um, just, believe that I could do whatever I wanted to That do. sounds idyllic. Yeah, I mean, she also had a lot of body issues, so that got complicated of her so own. So did you see her body issues? Yes. I so did too with my mom. So my mom did not tell me anything about my body. My mom did not either. But Because her mother did. But mm -hmm. she would, in front of me, mm -hmm. talk about how she didn't like her body. Same thing. And yeah, and so, and she behaved in ways that, yes. of, you know, her diets constantly and her exercising and the disgusting yep. outward, like I'm disgusting. That's exactly I thinking like, this doesn't make any sense. Like she tells me when I tell her, like, what do you think about this? And she's like, you're beautiful. But then she, and then I look at her who seems visually beautiful, mm -hmm. but she doesn't think she is. So how was that for you? That was exactly the same at my, in my home. My mom was gorgeous. I mean, she's still like gorgeous, athletic, just amazing looking woman um but was always just so hard on herself and i could tell looking back i can tell she didn't want to be saying all that stuff in front of me i think it was like a tick like she couldn't stop herself from doing it 
So that was really hard. And like you said, it was really confusing and it made my self-worth confusing because it's right, like, if she's saying all these things to me, but then she's saying these things. Do you, have you ever had a conversation to find out where her stuff came from? Yes. I, we've had a lot of conversations recently. She also experienced sexual abuse as a child. So we actually very nicely mirror each other for my young, my younger self. We used to like, we had a hard time connecting, even though we were so similar. And as I've gotten older, we've really been able to flesh that relationship out. We were like super tight when I was little. And then as a teen, we sort of veered because I was just fighting her on everything. Cause you were a teen. Yeah. And now as adults, I just feel like I can, especially now that I'm a parent, I can see her so clearly and I have so much empathy for what she was going through as a young parent. Without pointing any fingers, but just from what you experienced, do you think as a mother, you do certain things differently about body stuff? So you don't show the same thing? Yes. I mean, I think as parents, we're all going to do, I think the hope for me as a parent is that I will fuck up my son in a totally new way. You know, mm -hmm. that's the hope. I'm, you know, I, how old is he? He's only two. So I have plenty of time. Yeah. I have three boys. Oh, cool. I mean, that's, that is a lot. We talk about absolutely everything. And I especially talk about, it's so funny because my friend Sarah that I mentioned, she is only having one child and she has a boy and she was like hysterically upset about it because she's just such a strong woman that wants to raise a strong woman. And she's like, I can't believe I don't get to raise a woman, yeah. you know, a girl. To, and, and I was like, no, the universe is giving you this. So yes. you can raise an awesome human man that can stand up and use his voice on behalf of women and not treat them how, you know what I mean? Like, this is really important. So we talk about that all the time. Yeah, I agree. I think I'll, we'll probably have another, but it's lesbians tend to have boys. So I wouldn't be shocked if we have another boy. And I do at first, when I, we found out he was going to be a boy, I was like a little, just something hit a little bit, but then I was like, you know what, this is like a cool opportunity to, if he, you know, remains a boy and sister, right. right. Raise statistically, probably a straight man who won't be such an asshole. Yes. So that's yes. The Can I ask you if you were are okay talking about it? If you would tell a little bit about your background and your sexual abuse. Sure. Yes. So again, very confusing situation. It occurred at my babysitter's house, who was like my second, they were my other mom, my second family there. She had, or two sons, I'm sorry, and a daughter. And it just went on for years from the age of probably like either three to six or four to six, like just a long time in a with early one of the boys with one of the boys in my developmental history. You know, that's a pretty important time. And did you not feel safe to talk about it with anybody? You know what is actually shitty? Well, first of all, a lot of the boys there were sexually assaulting a lot of children there. So this place ended up like shutting down out of the blue um, because I think they found out what was going on. So something terrible had happened to these kids because these kids are also only between the ages. If I'm six, you know, they're between 10 and 16. So they're not old. You know what? I did try to tell somebody and I actually was told that I was lying and then put in timeout. And this was another woman who I was very, very close to. And as part of my therapy in college, I actually wrote this woman an email and was like, hey, just so you know, like this shit really did happen. And it was really terrible that you didn't believe me. 
and she felt awful. And she was like, you know what? I actually do feel like I knew something was going on because the same thing was happening to one of her kids who was going there. But, you know, she needed to work. She needed the job. I feel like she felt like she didn't know what to do. do. So it also just shows us like what happens when women don't have a lot of options. You know, if she had other career choices, um, you know, she maybe could have made a different choice, but she really felt like she did it. I have a question in regards to that. At what point in your life did you tell your parents? Oof. So, well, I think for a lot of people who have been sexually assaulted as a child, I didn't even know what had happened until I was like in middle school. I was just like going about my day. And then one day in middle school, we were like in health class and we learned about what sexual assault was. And I was like, oh my God, that happened to me for like a long time. And then I didn't tell my parents until I was in college. So my freshman year. Did you tell anybody? I told one of my best friends who's still one of my best friends. And she said, I also was young. So it's important to remember the lack of language you have as a child. So I don't even know what I said to her, but I was trying to convey that. I think we were probably in elementary school. We were in a, we were like at a sleepover and I was like trying to tell her this thing. And she said, yeah, one time, like her friend's brother showed me his penis in a pool. And I was like, that's not what I'm talking about. So maybe I don't know like how to convey this. So I think that lack of language in childhood is just so important to remember because as adults, we know lots about sex we know lots about relationships we have lots of language and as children you really don't have that so I think it comes out expressing itself in a lot of different ways like I started self-harming very early so have you ever figured out what it was from I think I don't know if you know I don't know if it was like trying to control a pain or I think it's was like a way to communicate because I was so shut off. So it was just like a way to communicate pain, even though I really like hit it a lot. I didn't show anybody. I was very embarrassed by it, but my parents did find out about that in high school and sent me to a therapist, but I still didn't tell them then. Um, and you didn't tell the therapist either. Oh, I lied to her. Isn't that so interesting? And then you ended up having this really hard time when you were a freshman. Yes. Which is probably a culmination of all the pain and darkness stuck inside of you and in needing it to come out and not knowing how to do it. I mean, that's what happened with me too. Yeah, so that is what happened. I had like a party and the police came and I was already seeing a therapist. So I was just like, I'm just gonna tell them everything. I'm just gonna come clean about all of this. Um, but that was also the first time my mom confided in me that she had been. Um, wow, could you imagine that would have, would that, you think that would have helped you earlier on to talk about it? I think it would have, and I think it's so upsetting and that I think it was her one life goal was like to not have a daughter that was molested. Um, you know, she worked really hard, really early on like good touch, bad touch. Like we learned, I learned about sex and what sex was in like second grade. We had books. We, you know, she was very open with us. But you still didn't feel safe to talk about it. I just didn't, I didn't know how I didn't want to. I was so embarrassed. It's such a. So shame. let me ask you this, cause we're both mothers. Yeah. And there's a lot of mothers listening. The first fear I have inside of me is I'm just like your mom. I do everything I possibly can. I talk about absolutely everything. What can we do differently as parents? So our kid, if God forbid something is happening, they mm-hmm. will feel safe enough to come to us. Right. I mean, that is the million dollar question. I don't know. I think it's so tough because my parents wouldn't have been mad at me. 
they would have done whatever they needed to do to support me. I do think, unfortunately, part of sexual assault in children is just this embedded shame that's really mm. hard to, I don't know what the ticket for that is to make kids feel less shameful. About I that. also think that it's the same kind of, not the same shame because it's such a horrible, vulnerable time, but for women, I mean, I was raped and I don't know any women that weren't. Right. Um, and so when I talk about it with friends and women I work with, for the majority of us who've never done anything to report it and didn't know how to deal with it, very similar to that woman that you went to, but unfortunately you were a child and she was an adult and she should have handled it hundred percent differently. I went to a woman that was a kind of like a mentor and said, mm -hmm. this is what happened. And she basically was like, you shouldn't have put yourself in this position. Terrible. And if you weren't there, this wouldn't have happened. And then I just, the shame was, and then my mind told me, well, I shouldn't have. Right. Today, I obviously know a hundred percent. It doesn't matter what position I'm in or I've placed myself in. It doesn't matter if I'm totally naked and I've said, yes, I want to do everything. And then I said, no, I don't. That's yeah. great. And I still have women that I work with on a regular basis that come to me and I'm like, you were raped. Right. Still don't know how to handle it. Yeah, and it is, I think it's important to retell our own stories. I was actually just thinking about this. I was just thumbing through my essay collection before our call and there's a story within a story in there about this man who this is a Marine and I have sex with this man. So I'm a freshman in college and I'm like really on a self-destructive path. And in the story, I talk about how I have sex with him and then I, and I thought he was gonna be violent. Like he just felt violent to me we had sex, nothing happened. And then after we had sex, I said to him, like, I've had better sex with women, which was not true. And then this man threw well, me- Why wasn't it true? I just hadn't had sex with a woman at that point. Oh, okay. I, I was just saying something to like bruise his ego. You wanted, yeah, you wanted I to hurt wanted him. him to, like, I wanted him to just like feel mad or something. So this man then physically like assaults me after we've had sex. He throws me against a wall. He's screaming profanities at me. He throws me back on a bed. He's standing at a door so I can't leave. And in the book I wrote the violence that I orchestrated and then I go into a, whatever. Mm. It really just last week or this, I was like, I didn't orchestrate Doesn't that. Doesn't that hurt your heart to hear that you said you orchestrated? It makes me, I also, until I re-examined it like a week ago, I did think that I did that. But it's like, so I literally thought until a week ago that the words that came out of my mouth caused a man to be violent with me. Um, that so makes I, me want to cry. I Because I've been there. I'm telling you, I, I, I get it. And it's also just shocking that the woman who was so well-intentioned, my editor and whatever, and maybe she was just giving me creative freedom, but nobody was like, are you sure this is what you mean? Like, are you sure, do you want to think about that experience again? Like, I didn't orchestrate that. I said something, saying something should never cause somebody to be violent against you. Um, so I, I just, do, I'm just, I just, you know what I love about this moment is that you're able to have put out such beautiful artwork, which we're going to get to in a minute. And then you get to look at it today as who you are today and go, wait a minute. Yeah, that, that yeah. one word is yes. a lie. It's a lie and I wrote it and I meant it and I meant it until literally yesterday. And I think that's important. So we don't need to, again, be hard on ourselves but it's so important the way that we treat ourselves and view ourselves and that's part of the healing. Like you said, it's like you didn't, 
get yourself raped by wearing clothes or no clothes. You Nobody put their hands on you because of what you said or didn't say. Those are other people making choices. Yes. Um, Will you tell me what you did in order to become a 10 you know, as a woman who uses her voice? Sure. I think, unfortunately, I've been talking and thinking and writing about this a little bit. It's just healing is so boring. Like the real work of healing, unfortunately, is so boring. So it's been a lot of therapy, a lot of like consistently communicating with my wife and my family and my friends, a lot of practicing, just telling people how I'm feeling. Like I would never even tell somebody if I was like having a good day or a bad day. So just like practicing saying things like, oh, I'm happy today, or I'm so frustrated. Um, I've gone to a ton of yoga, just like really boring stuff. I drink so much less. I don't do drugs anymore recreationally. Um, was it a decision or was it a moment in time that happened? What, what caused you to change, like to actively go about healing? I mean, in my late twenties, I just went back to therapy and like was really committed to redoing the work because I had just recently been married and I didn't want to bring any crap crap into it. <laughs> like we've been together for a long time, but I was still going through cycles of like drinking and being explosive. And I just, we didn't, I didn't want to do that. My wife didn't want me doing that. We were thinking about having kids. So I was just like, this is the time I really need to buckle down, get it together. And also I was just exhausted. Like, I don't, so this is exhausting. exhausting. There has to be another way to live my life. Will you tell us about your essays? Sure. The essay collections. Yeah. So, putting out. Yeah. Putting out essays on otherness. Um, I started writing pieces of it probably when I was in my early 20s. It's very interesting to look at now because I don't even, it doesn't feel like me in a way that's honestly really nice. Mm -hmm. um, and I bet you feel similarly like when. What you is it about? Tell us what it's about. It's a collection of essays that have generally they're all of standalone essays on feeling different and feeling other so like religiously i will i grew up feeling different as a jew in like a very christian oriented place um dealing with my sexuality in a very straight world um in a sorority um well can i ask you a question about that at what age did you become honest with yourself and with everyone else about your sexuality well, I became honest with my with with myself probably in high school. I was like, oh, I'm bisexual. Like I was okay with that idea. The L word was on. I was like, this is very cool. Like I can <laughs> see myself like living this like very cool lesbian life. I have a question um, about that. Were you was there because you're I'm you're almost 10 years younger than me. When you were in school, mm -hmm. was it still mean? Like was yeah. it still okay, yeah. And in college. Like, I wish that I could be in high now. school and like have a girlfriend. I think that's so cool. And you do so much trauma to yourself. And it's, you know, a dual thing if you're like a gay person, plus you've been, you have a history of sexual violence because I just was always like, okay, you don't feel comfortable with this because you were molested. You just have to work harder. You have to work harder. But it's like, actually, you're also traumatizing yourself because this isn't your sexuality. Mm. So I think it's sort of like a, it was a double... Whammy. And at what point did you know, like, no, I'm not bisexual? When I was in college, it was, I started like making out with girls very quickly in college. Also, I remember like before I went to college being excited to get drunk and make out with girls. So that could have, should have been like a, you know, like a little clue. But you needed to be drunk to do it. Yes. 
for sure because that was socially acceptable it was very cool a very cool girl thing to do was like get drunk and make out with your girlfriends in front of like whistling that was hot very hot yes very hot girl thing to do marissa cooper on the oc was like dating that girl the same time i was a freshman in college on the oc um so like being a bisexual girl was not totally disgusting. Not that I said that I was out loud. I went to college in a very conservative place. Um, but to myself, I was like becoming more okay with it. During and then time. when did you fully were like, no, this is ridiculous. Um, my wife and I started, got together when I was 21 secretly. So I knew when we started like hooking up and stuff that like, this is it for me. Definitely a lesbian, even though I've had sex with so many guys (laughs) I was like this is it whether this relationship works out or not like this is definitely who I am and then I told my family like a year later so I was like 22 nobody was feel like did you feel more like yourself when you were being honest I did and it's so interesting I didn't have a huge issue coming out so like growing up my biggest like core, it felt like my core deficit was like, I'm never going to be able to love somebody or feel what it's like to be in love because I was molested and I'm broken. So that was the story you told yourself. Yes. So then when I fell in love with my wife, I was like, oh my God, you're not broken. You're just a lesbian. So it was actually sort of like (laughs) a sleep in a way that it's not for a lot of gay people. Like it was a lot. I love that line so much. You need to make it like a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. You're not broken. You're just a lesbian. Just a lesbian. Um, So that was like a big sense of relief for me. And my, I already had my dad's brother is gay. So like growing up, I had a gay uncle. I knew my parents weren't going to care that much. Um, So can I tell you something? hmm. I think a lot of us, regardless of our gender, regardless of our sexuality, Mm -hmm. we all feel broken. Right. And we feel it it as a secret. Like we feel like once people know me, Mm -hmm. they're going to see the truth, which is I'm when we're younger, I'm broken. Mm -hmm. And obviously at different stages in our life and different levels of it, based on what our childhood was like. But I felt like that a hundred percent. And when I had my first marriage, my first husband was very much like plain, like standard, like this is what you are. And like, you don't, you don't take medication, you don't do it. Like, and right. so when he encountered me and I come with like my tattoos and my alcoholism and our recovery and, and just all of it, he's like, you're, you're damaged. Yeah. And, well, that's not great. Right. Um, <laughs> damage is usually something that is not accepted, right? You, if right. your product yeah. is damaged, Amazon takes it back and they replace it. Right. You know, right. Or, or you complain to someone and say, this is, I don't want this. This is not enough and so I had that same inner voice and it really like it hurts my heart to think about all of us like walking around like it bothers truly bothers me which is why I know I'm supposed to be doing must love self like and I'm not a crier and I love crying I just never have that ability unless I like watch Oprah or something and every conversation I have with one of you women I feel teary because I wish I could have grabbed you for like an hour and said please don't believe this about yourself like it is not like it makes me feel sad that there yeah. are that so many of us think this way right yeah for sure I mean it's awful and I think my biggest I thought I was broken I also just thought I was like dirty that was like a big inner voice was just like you're disgusting you're dirty but I think the problem is even if you could grab all of us and I know you know it just doesn't matter and that's the worst part about being a human is not being able to help 
other humans. You have to want to do it yourself. And that's the worst lesson. It just is. It's awful. Oh, trust me. I know it, girl, because I, I'm sober 22 years. And when I sponsor women, I mean, it's life and death. So if yeah. they don't get it, they die. Right. And so I get it. I see it. I watch it. There's nothing more painful than knowing that you can see someone's beauty and they can't see it. So worst. with that, we're going to go to the lightning round and I will be done. Before that, I want to hear your quotation. Okay. Let me bring it up. So my quotation is, this is like art related, creative related. So this is my favorite quote about creativity. You might already know it. It's a letter between Martha Graham. You know this one? No, I want to hear it. Do you know it though? I don't know. I'm going to, when you say it, I'll probably know, but I'm excited. Okay. So it's a letter between that Martha Graham wrote to Agnes DeMille. They're both choreographers. I think Agnes was choreographing Oklahoma and she was like, dear Martha, I suck at this. I'm terrible. Blah, 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 blah. So then Martha Graham writes back a lot of stuff. So I'm just going to do a pullout. She said, it is not your business to determine how good it is being her creativity nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly to keep the channel open. You do not have to even believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep yourself open and aware and aware to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. So I just creatively, this is something I think about a lot. It's like, you are not here to judge your work. You are not here to decide if it's valuable, if it's good. You're here just to do your work. Um, I love that so much. I, I love that so much. I, um, I, I can really relate to that in, and I needed to hear that today. And I have to share this really quickly. I climbed the Willis tower, which used to be the Sears tower. Yeah. It was at the beginning. It was like my eat, pray, love moment. Cause I couldn't go to Italy cause I had kids and <laughs> it was in between my divorce and getting free. And I went there to climb. It was 103 floors. And I remember I trained and everything, but when I started and I had almost been sexually assaulted by a really good male friend of mine. Oh. And so I had to stay up the entire night while I was sleeping on his couch to make sure that nothing happened. So I was not in the greatest place. And I was climbing the tower and I looked and it said four, I got the, the fourth floor. And I was like, fuck, I'm never going to make it. And I said, Carly, it is not your business. What floor you're on your yep. only business is to climb. And so the entire time I looked at my feet and I just climbed and yeah. I just was there. And I said, I will know when I get to the top because it will be light and people will be screaming. And that is how I need to be living my life, especially in business and creativity is mm -hmm. your only job is to climb. Yep. The floor you're on is not your business. Absolutely. And when you're going to get there, right? Like, all right. yes. Yeah. So it's I love that so much. Okay. Ready for lightning round? Yes. If you could go back to the freshman girl who was broken and dark in a mess. What would you say to her if you could? I would say your life is going to be so much more incredible than you could ever have imagined. In terms of your body, is there any judgment you want to let go of? Or are you okay completely? No, I'm cool with not being cool. With I love me. that. That's the new cool. <laughs> what would your 80-year-old self say to you today? God, I hope my 80-year-old self says the same thing where she's like, girl, you don't even know where your life is going to go. It's awesome. Keep going. Keep going. What is beautiful to you? Genuine relationships and communication. What does it mean to be a strong woman? Being able to vocalize your wants and needs. I love that. 
What would you like other people to say about you? That I am kind. If you found out you had nine months to live, what would you want to do with the rest of the nine months? Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd stop working and I would just hang out with my son. That's terrible. Why is that terrible? Well, because he's so little. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, isn't that what ultimately you'd want, right? Yeah. Just Well, and my wife and my dog. Right. <laughs> and wow. Okay, yeah. last one. You get one piece of advice for every woman that's listening. What do you want them to hear? I want, I would want, I want women in general to know that, oh my God, so many things. I know. <laughs> so many things I want women to know. That your worth is not defined by men or pop culture or your body. And you get to decide what you want to do with your life, not cultural norms don't get to decide. Your family doesn't get to decide. You get to decide what you want your life to look like. I love that. How do people find you um, in your work world? People can find me on Instagram at samantha.man05. They can please buy and enjoy the essay collection, putting out essays on otherness wherever you like to buy books. Um, and I'm a regular contributor for Bust Magazine online. I've written for Bustle, L, Washington Post. So I'm on the internet. I'm around. I'm going to include all that in the episode notes. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. This was a blast. It was too. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. La, 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 la,